So within that time zone, I had to like try stuff on. Like, okay, okay. Now we're doing the armor. Now we're doing the matrix. And, you know, different tailors kind of come in. And Wait, like, armor? Oh, yes. It got cut. It was a replica that we had made of the hound from Game of Thrones. Oh, oh my, my gosh. Stop it. It's amazing. Welcome to the Art of Costume Blogcast. I'm Elizabeth Joy Glass. And I'm Spencer Williams. I'm just trying out a new Spencer each week to see which one I like. Okay. I liked that one. It didn't sound like you had forgotten who you were. <laughs> it comes and goes. Hey, it comes what and can goes, I say? Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we've got a lot going on. The world's crazy. world's crazy again, so... <laughs> The world is loony. <laughs> A loony tune, Spencer. <laughs> oh. Let's just get into this. I um let's get into this. <laughs> <laughs> you just you just blinked for a second. I just blanked for a second. I guess my mind's going too. Elizabeth, what are we watching this week? Spencer, we are watching Space Jam, A New Legacy. Everybody get up, it's time to slam now. We got a real jam going down. Welcome to the Space Jam. Here's your chance, do your <laughs> dance at the Space Jam. I literally don't know this song, Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> you were I'm all a, on your own for that one. <laughs> I'm a Space Jam nerd, and this is like a moment for me. I'm so excited to talk about the new movie. I'm excited, too. I've never seen the original Space Jam, but I had quite a good time watching the new Space Jam. Uh, this was one of those movies when I was growing up. You know, you ha- everyone has those movies growing up that they just, like, always go back to because it just brings you back to, like, when you were a kid. I used to remember, like, me, my dad, and my brother doing backyard camping sessions where we'd wheel out the little tiny TV and our VHS sets. And I would always be like, let's watch Space Jam. That, that was my movie. I loved it so much. And when I found out that they're coming out with a new one, I was literally five again. I was so excited. Oh, well, do you want to give us our summary then? I would absolutely love to. Space Jam 2, A New Legacy. A new legacy is set current day, many years after the Looney Tunes enlisted NBA legend Michael Jordan's help in a game of basketball against the Monstars. LeBron James is brought to a meeting at Warner Brothers Studios to hear presentation created by Warner Brothers AI, Algae Rhythm. After LeBron declines the AI's ideas, LeBron and his son find themselves brought into the serververse against their will. To save his son and find his way home, LeBron James must team up with the Looney Tunes and battle Algae Rhythm and the Evil Goon Squad in a high-stakes game of basketball. As expected, Things get a little, how do you say, loony. Loony. <laughs> that is our summary. Uh, that is our summary, people. If you have not seen Space Jam 2, A New Legacy, this is your spoiler warning. And I don't know what else to tell you. It's on HBO Max. Go watch it. Yeah. 
go watch it right now if you don't have time to go to the theaters, which I also highly recommend because just like the first one, the soundtrack is banging in the new one and probably, I know, sounds really cool in the theater. But if you're really excited to listen to our podcast too, watch on HBO Max and that's fine also. Yeah, stop it there, watch it. Hey, do you. And then now that you're back, we'll go behind the wardrobe. So, the Space Jam A New Legacy was directed by Malcolm D. Lee, with costume design by Melissa Bering. You will know her from her work on Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, War for the Planet of the Apes, uh, Wild, and Rampage. There's no articles on this yet. So that's really all I got for Behind the Wardrobe Facts. Well, within Space Jam 2, A New Legacy, it's obvious that we do see a redesign of the old Toon Squad outfits. I get redesigned of a new color scheme. Clearly, Michael Jordan is not in this one. We are now using LeBron James in this new modern era. And I am really excited to talk about this. Today is kind of a special episode. We're so excited we got a chance to speak with Melissa Bruning, and she is absolutely wonderful. So we figured, why go scene to scene for y'all when you could just hear from the expert herself? I absolutely fell in love with her. She is a legendary. She's going to talk to you all about the Toon Squad uniforms, all the cameos you see throughout the film, and even some costumes that we maybe didn't see happen on screen, which Elizabeth and I had a lot of thoughts and feelings about when we realized which TV show costumes might not have made it as much as we wanted. <laughs> I know. I am like, I will put out money to see deleted scenes on a DVD <laughs> for this movie. <laughs> Without further ado, let's talk to Melissa Birding after the break. today to speak with the costume designer of Space Jam 2, Melissa Bruning. Melissa, welcome to the broadcast. Hi, I'm very excited to be here. Hi, Melissa. We're so excited to talk to you. I'm sure everybody's buzzing about Space Jam. <laughs> we are. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I am. I've been waiting years for this to come out. <laughs> uh, me too. Space Jam came out, the original came out in 96. I've been loving this film ever since. I mean, I grew up with Space Jam, so I've been waiting for this interview for almost 23 years now. So right. I'm ready. <laughs> So, like we just mentioned, the classic Space Jam with Michael Jordan came out over 23 years ago. When you initially took on this project, was that a daunting task? Were you excited? Were you familiar with the film? I, um, my agent sent me an email saying they're looking for a costume designer for Space Jam 2, question mark. You know, which she's always like, hmm, will this interest her? And I was like, Hell yes. <laughs> I was like, when do I, when do I go in? How much time do I have to prepare for my interview? And he was like, okay, they're excited. You're excited. I'm like, yeah, I'm jazz. Let's do this. It was when I prepped for this interview, I was like, okay, I'm going to get this job. Yes. I want to do this job. This job means so much to me because I love working on cult films. I love working on things that are part of our film history. 
you know, the history of film is not that long. So for us to say, oh, this movie came out 23 years ago, and it means something to people. It means it is how people think of that year sometimes. Or if you're listening to the music, you're like, oh my God, I can put myself back in the place where I was when I saw this film. And I'm hoping that there's a new generation of people who this film will also mean that to them. And that's the cool part about my job is I am sort of inserted myself in history. Totally. I love that. And like like you mentioned, everything from the costumes to the music, it's all part of like history. And now you're adding your own touch onto it. And I thought you did a wonderful job. Aww, I loved it so much. So did Elizabeth. This was actually my first experience with Space Jam. I had never seen the original. <laughs> so I <laughs> I made her watch it. I was like, we are watching Space Jam. <laughs> that's OK. There were so, several there were several people on the project, including the director, who had never seen it before. What? Really? That's fascinating. In fact, I had a I, my UPM was very proud of saying that he'd never seen it, but that he knew all the lyrics to the song. Oh, wow. Oh, well, yeah. So <laughs> that's so fascinating. Well, so the human costume scene, both outside and inside the server first, felt very like modern contemporary, which I really liked because. I feel like things that kind of like jump around between different worlds sometimes like don't hit that like current modern look. And this really did that. Uh, can you talk about your approach about dressing LeBron and his family? Definitely. Um, you know, it was very important to the producers and the director and the studio that LeBron and his family were presented as of an ultra wealthy black family mm -hmm. that, you know, that was not only were they, you know, in the spotlight, but also, you know, they shopped at Neiman's, they shopped at Bloomingdale's, the kids probably wore designer clothes and they had access to that. And for me, it provides me a great freedom because I get, you know, a budget to say, Hey, I have to go to Barney's today. You know, I, I want to make the clothes the most current for when the movie comes out. But I also know that the movie's not going to come out for two years because there's so many visual effects. So I have to think beyond what is contemporary now and think, okay, what's going to be contemporary in two years, but also what's going to transcend so that when you look at this movie 10 years from now, you don't go, oh, skinny jeans. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. You know, and to the point of like, even when there's background, like, we did a lot of control over, you know, making sure that this didn't get set in the early 2000s or even in the teens, that it definitely is going to reflect the 2020s because that's when it's released. And, you know, a lot of times, like as far as like the background, when they show up, they bring what they have and then we sort of redress them. But not all costume designers redress them. Just depends on kind of your time and your budget. But it was important for us and for me to put pieces on Dom, on LeBron, on um, Kamaya, on Darius, that people would not only look at it and be think, oh, that's cool. But like, oh, I want to look like that. I think that, you know, they they like to throw around the word um, aspirational when you do commercials or you do films. And I like to think of it as achievable. I, I see them. I see how they look. I want to look like that, too. And I think that I've been able to do that. 
think it was just yesterday, I had six Instagram asks of where could I get Darius's sweatshirt? That's a great question. <laughs> Which is Neil Barrett. And unfortunately, because I did the film two years ago, you know, it's not, I was like, maybe look on Poshmark. I don't yeah. it, it, <laughs> They're just not selling it anymore. But it lets those people also know a designer that they might have never heard of before that they will now search out and look for their stuff. Yeah, that's fascinating. So I don't really think of that. You did this back in 2019 then? 2019, and we started shooting in June of 2019. So, you know, seasonally, you're sort of catching the spring season. And then 2020 was sort of a bust for fashion anyway. (laughs) Stores didn't stock things. Nobody really made stuff. And so I kind of got a clean wipe on that one. But I did know, um, like I put Kamaya in a wide leg pant, which is definitely our future, which I am mm-hmm. pro. Yes. So, yes. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's also it's a balance of the fashions have to look right. They have to look clean enough to have that much stuff going on around them. So that you can focus on the actor's face and you're not overwhelmed by a lot of pattern near their face. I wanted colors that reflected a a kid's movie or reflected the Looney Tunes. So I did use a lot of saturated colors or I did also blacks or whites that help pull and push things back. Um, But I think ultimately what I was trying to do was try to make it transcendent. I'm so glad he brought up Dom and Darius the sweatshirts because I I watched it a, a couple times and every time I was like oh my gosh I need those sweatshirts I loved I think it's Darius who had the black sweatshirt that almost looked like like almost looked like the basketball court pattern represented on his sweatshirt which I thought yeah. was so cool I need that sweatshirt mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh. that was a great one I have um, one of my I, everybody who works for me at this point are friends of mine. Like we've been working together for forever. So my friend Derek, he knows like when he is shopping and he brings something in and I start looking through the rack, I'm like, yes, yes. Victory dance. This is awesome. This is (laughs) like, it kind of nails it for me. I'm like, Oh my God, you're awesome. He's like, yeah, you know, (laughs) very modest, but it is, I mean, it's exciting because in your head, you get to know these characters and you know the kids that are wearing them and you're like, okay, I want something that they feel good in. They feel proud of wearing. And a lot of them don't really, they haven't um, they haven't created their own fashion style yet. They're, they are young enough that they kind of know what they like. They kind of know what the other kids are wearing, but they, don't, they haven't defined a look for themselves. And so I love being able to be in the position to help them find things that this color looks good on them or this texture looks good on them or so that when they are performing, they feel good. They're not worried about the, what they're wearing. They're just going to be able to be that character. Yeah. I love that. That's so cool. <laughs> so speaking of characters, um, I guess LeBron James, he was just kind of himself. <laughs> um, <laughs> clearly. Oh, that, that guy. guy. <laughs> um, so what was that like working with him in terms of costume? Because I guess he, he probably has a pretty big say on how he personally dresses. You know, it's funny because he um, he very much 
allowed himself to be humbled into the process, if that makes sense. He was like, okay, I'm here. I, he did not have a big opinion on most things. Oh, wow. You know, it had to fit him well and it had to feel comfortable. He does not like a ton of pattern. He, you know, there's, there's just, there was so many constraints for us to, you know, one, f- find things in his size, which is kind of hard. Um, <laughs> I mean, I had, I would show him designer pants and then say, and we will make these in your size out of this fabric because they don't exist. And they don't, they don't exist in like 10, you know, we have different levels of things. We have different photo doubles, stand-ins, all that kind of stuff. So there's never just one of anything, but he definitely was like, oh, I like this more than I like that. But he, he never once was like, oh, I'm not wearing that. Are you kidding? No, he was, he is not that man anyway, but he was great. He showed up for all of his costume fittings on time, which is a rule for him he's never late for anything. And he, you know, he would spend, we would do a session between like nine in the morning till noon where I knew I had, I had him, I think I had him for three or four fittings before we started shooting. So within that time zone, I had to like try stuff on like, okay, okay. Now we're doing the armor. Now we're doing the matrix and, you know, different tailors kind of come in and Wait, like armor. Oh yeah. It got cut. It was amazing. It was a replica that we had made of the hound from Game of Thrones. Oh, oh my God. Stop it. It's amazing. <laughs> the gloves. And like Tony Swanton at Sword and Stone made it all. And we did three fittings on it. It was heavy as hell. Um, he shot half a day in it and he knew it looked good, but it was heavy as hell. I'm like, um, who do I need it, to yell at right now? Give me their number. You know, <laughs> you know, it's hard because a lot of the references that we used are not kids' movies. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, I can understand the studio, you know, and we had a lot of movie. So every time things kept getting added, I think we ended up with like a 150-page script. Oh wow. Which we shot. So, and it's like the movie comes in, I think just under two hours or two hours. There was enough on the cutting room floor to make the movie that we shot. Yeah. Wow. It just, it just kept changing with casting and, you know, we do things and see, oh, this works, but this doesn't work. There was algae in a throne room with like oh my this magical cape and an outfit <laughs> like, you know, I mean, there were so many iterations of different places and things that they wore that, you know, I was nervous going into the premiere because I didn't, I didn't know what was left. I didn't know what made it. I didn't know what was left. I didn't know how it looked. I'd seen a rough cut, but I I was sort of like, Oh God, I I just hope it stands together. And I do think it does. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I think you and your team gave it your all though. And I feel like I mean, the best parts are still there, and we loved it. It does give me some kind of uh, solace knowing when I was watching last night, I was like, damn, I wish there was some Game of Thrones costumes, but at least I know that they're out there, so I feel better now. <laughs> yeah, I will buy a Blu-ray copy of this. Yeah, there were Game of Thrones. There was the Game of Thrones armor. Bugs was in something, and then I had two Lannister guards that we made. <laughs> It's not nothing. So yeah, <laughs> a lot. Yeah, buying the Blu-ray, watching the special features. <laughs> I know. Well, there was also an entire algae dance number. Ooh, I know. All but- the secrets are coming out right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
So one of the more exciting parts of this film was the colorful, seamless look between the human and the animated characters. Can you talk about your collaboration with the director, but also the animation team and the visual effects team? Yeah, I mean, they were my best buddies. I had their back. They had my back. So what we would do is, especially when we were working on the uniform, is I would meet with them and their concern was to make sure that not only did the uniform look good on LeBron, but that it looked good on all of the tunes. And the director was like, I really don't want white. I don't want to do what the original was. Just just don't. I want to do something new. So, you know, that that uniform that we did, it had to look good on every skin color of every tune, right? So bye-bye gray uniform, Bugs is gray. Bye-bye orange, Lola's kind of peachy. Um, you know, Daffy, he can pretty much wear anything. Um, <laughs> same with Granny. But so we just started, what, I, what we would do is it was almost like a tune lineup. So it had a little LeBron and then it had all the tunes by height. And we would try, we made like mock-up little uniforms, just the, like the, the jersey and the short. And we would punch in different colors to see what it was going to look like on all of them. And we did, you know, we did solids, but we also did like a galaxy print. We did, you know, we did a lot of different iterations. We also knew that we wanted to keep the goons in darker colors. Um, and we landed on sort of a... A, a darker purple, very um, maleficent sort of color um, that we were going to use with the goon squad and with and tie that also into algae with a little bit of sparkle and some silver. And so we so purple was also out. And then the director really wanted um, he really liked the Looney Tunes circle like it really sort of um, symbolized their evolution to him. Like they had always had that circle and it was very iconic for Warner Brothers. So then we just, you know, we would play around with, you know, just the shape of the uniform and doing different circles in different places. And through one of the meetings, it was like, well, what if it went from the top into the bottom? And I was like, well, we could try that. (laughs) (laughs) It took me... One of my assistants, Ella, I had to bring her on just to figure out how to make the circles match because the top of the jersey is straight, but the shorts have a waistband that gathers. And so it was it was a real math problem to figure out how to get those to line up. And everything is um, the uniforms these days are sublimated fabrics, which means that it goes from a computer design and is printed out in a machine onto the fabric. So sometimes you get fabric and one side is white, but the other side's very colorful. Well, it's an ink that goes into the fabric. So every time we had to change the circles, we had to print a new uniform, put it together, see if it worked. And we only had LeBron for specific amounts of time. So what we would do is try it on photo doubles or on mannequins and be like, no, that's not gonna do it. So. We finally were able to figure it out. I had tried it on him. We were ready to go. We were mass producing them. And I get a call from um, Spring Hill from one of the producers, Spencer. And he goes, hi. Um, So some really great things happened. 
um, but maybe not great for your department. Oh, God. Um, he goes, so AD has just joined the Lakers, which is fantastic from the Pelicans, Anthony Davis. And I was like, yeah, that's great. And he was working with us as one of our goons. He goes, but um, also great. He and LeBron have decided he's going to give him 23 and LeBron's going to go back to wearing six. So we have to change the uniforms. Wow. So those ones got (laughs) probably put in a vault somewhere and we had to start over and we had a week. Oh, wow. Which is not a lot of time because we had to, you know, all of the, the woven um, edging on the uniforms, it's all hand woven by a shop in downtown LA. So we were like trying to piece together like, oh, how much do we have for shorts right this minute? And the, you know, the six was on the short and it was on the jersey and it was a lot. I imagine. <laughs> and so we were like, you know, I think my supervisor, uh, Sarah, was like, we're having a pants on fire moment. I need everybody in here right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i can imagine the like you know and then i my sister's my graphic artist and i'm like text her i'm like um we i i need your help right away we've got to change everything and get it over the to the sublimator and she was like oh my oh my god okay 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 sure 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 yeah Yeah. so you're not busy are you (laughs) this is the 11th hour let's do it and then it worked out and we showed up on set and spencer was like see look you guys did such a great job we're never worried about you guys i'm like yeah you know we're fine it wasn't that it was a piece of cake it's like you know (laughs) how my costume crew is like laying on the floor i'm like no it's fine whatever you guys (laughs) 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 but also too you know when they wanted to do all the different fonts and we did um the nike swoosh and lebron's um nike symbol that he has i had to run everything through um the animation department because there is a thing called pencil mileage which i have learned on this film which means that when they are drawing it somebody has to hand draw a toon squad in that circle and any sort of busyness i put on there so before we could get the okay to go ahead with the uniform, I had to run it by them. And then they had to give a bid for, okay, you want to add numbers, you want to add this, it's going to cost you this much more. And it it could go any direction. It could be a million dollars. I think it ended up costing $400,000. But somebody has to, in those shots, draw in, you know, all of that detail on the tunes. Wow. So, you know, thank God we didn't do something super busy or we probably wouldn't have been able to get the film out in time. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> that is insane. But it's like, there's all these, there's all these like minutiae things that go into making, you know, making the movie that nobody thinks about. And I, I, it was the uniform was first introduced sort of not on the set. And so I know there's a lot of opinions. Some people really loved it. Some people are like, oh, it's crap. But this is a specific costume for Space Jam 2. So within the confines, it's on a black floor that glows. It is surrounded by green screen. It's surrounded by a bunch of different characters. In fact, the blue itself was a little bit lighter. And we found we had to punch up the color because they were shooting at Space Night. So the colors that we were shooting, the lighting was a bit more intense and it was soaking up the color. Well, I loved the Space Jam 2 uniforms because even, you know, and I loved original uniforms as well. But I feel like like we talked about earlier, these Space Jam 2 uniforms 
pay enough homage to originals while also still being current and modern, but keeping all the things about the originals that we all love, like the circle and even the shape and the shorts. But like, you know, looking at the picture we're looking at right now where LeBron also has like the blue on his arm and the shoes, it's all feels very 2021 at the same time as still paying homage to the original 96. I, I love them. I think they're brilliant. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, I love them myself, yeah. but I saw a lot of them for a long time. And now I see them in every store I go into, which is also amazing. Now I'm going to get one. I mean, no one wants to see this pale skin and that basketball <laughs> uniform, but I'll, I'll wear it for our next wear interview, Elizabeth, to scare you. <laughs> <laughs> You'd wear it for Halloween. Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> or just casual, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Lounge about the house. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you know, feeding the cats. <laughs> <laughs> so one of my favorite characters, probably my favorite character of the movie was Algie Rhythm. And I really liked his like Steve Jobs slash like silver techno computer style. What was it like getting that balance between like a real human and like, oh, this is an algorithm designed by somebody? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that... I, I personally think that the algae rhythm clothes are the hardest of the movie. Oh, wow. Well, what is an algorithm wear, right? So originally, he had no clothes. Originally, he was going to be holographic and just sort of move around and not necessarily be any sort of permanent thing. And when they cast um, Don Cheadle, they were like, well, why are we not going to use Don Cheadle? Like, he's amazing. Yeah, that's a fair point. Right. And then also, too, I think that, you know, it's hard for a child and a a new actor to always react to something that's not there. And I think that there is a human quality that the algae goes from being his bratty older brother to his dad. And so I think that you need that subtlety that only comes from human interaction. Um, but that being said, it meant that a week before Algie was supposed to start shooting, they were like, you know what? Let's just put him in real clothes. And I was like, okay, that's great. They're like, so he works in two days. Uh, do you have any ideas? I was like, yeah, sure. You know, and luckily, <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. How do you trust oh the God. algorithm in we two days? 17 <laughs> weeks of prep, and now I have no prep, and we need, like, 20 costumes. Luckily, I had I had worked with uh, Don Cheadle on a show called Black Monday that I've been doing the last three seasons of. So I very much knew him as an actor. I knew what he's comfortable in. I knew sort of you know, what the studio want, what the director want. Like, I sort of knew that whatever we did with him, I didn't want it to look too extreme. I didn't want the clothes to take away from who he was. And because he was an algorithm, I felt like he would also do whatever was most pleasing for the person looking at him, if that makes sense. Um, and so I sort of wanted to also add in the sparkle and the circuitry and just, you know, what can I do to help sell him as something shiny also? So we started with suits. Um, and I think one of the very first things we did was the sparkle tracksuit, which I thought was kind of fun. Oh, that was my great. Favorites. And, you know, the <laughs> great thing was, is Don was like, yeah, lay it on me. What do you have? I'll try it on. And then if there was something that he didn't care for, he goes, I'll wear it, but I like this over that. 
Um, but I think we we pretty much hit it on most things. We all liked, um, he's wearing a Dior jean jacket and matching jeans that had holograms even within the actual fabric. It was like painted on. And as soon as we saw that, I was like, oh, that's my hook. That that makes sense. So this is like LG casual <laughs> appealing to a kid, right? Yeah. So it's like a suit still, but it's like it's a casual suit, and that'll appeal more to Dom. Whereas a silver suit is sort of more he envisions himself as a studio head. So the silver suit kind of reflects that idea. And then as he gets into the game. We had him sort of take on different um, famous personalities um, that I can't remember the names of all of the personalities, but um, like the I, and I think it transcends even basketball. But you know, <laughs> like, you're talking about the coach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the different coaches. Um, we're not very big sports people at the Art of Costume, but we're following along. You know, being a costume designer myself, like I could tell you about the Olympics <laughs> right now because I've been watching it. Yeah. But I don't. Yeah, I mean, luckily I was surrounded by a bunch of sporty costumers, so they were like, "Oh yeah, that's this look." So we would match it, and some of them were like from years ago, like. We even made, I don't think it made it in, but there was this one coach who had a lucky sweater and it, I think it was nineties judging from what the sweater looked like. Uh And we literally recreated that sweater. It's in some like hall of fame in Indiana, but he literally wore like once they won in that sweater, he just wore that sweater all season and it's in a hall (laughs) of fame now. And so there is one bit where algae is in that sweater um, and he thought he thought it was funny too, but he was like, "I don't know all these people." I know. <laughs> <laughs> but well, like the purple hoodie is very recognizable too. Like I recognize that character. I couldn't tell you who it was, but like I got what you were doing. He is a specific football coach that is always sort of under his hoodie with his ear. Okay, piece. so I think it's Belichick. Yeah, no. Belichick. That's it. That's it. Oh, hello, sports oh, hello, reference. Bill Belichick in the house. <laughs> Um, and then he was able to sort of do those reactions like those. That's funny. Yeah. And so it just, you know, it was piece by piece. We sort of made it all work. And then some of it was recreating things. At one point he was also looked like LeBron. So we made LeBron's entire outfit that he got sucked into the server verse and put it on Don Cheadle. And, you know, we didn't end up using it, but the studio is like, well, we still like that outfit even on Don Cheadle. I'm like, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know we still like the outfit. Um, right. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, and we we didn't know if we would ever see Don in the Goon Squad uniform or not. So he had one made for him. And then we also digitized everything. Um, all the goons had that we had. Um, we knew they wouldn't be in them, but we had um, photo references on set that they would um visual effects would shoot them moving and how that would move and because that informs them when they're rendering them. So it's a lot of um, things that may not make it onto the film, but are tools for other departments. Totally. Oh, that's so fun. And I feel happy knowing that for once sports came into use for me with that one note <laughs> the first time in my life. Um, exactly. So during LeBron's journey, he falls through different worlds. So when you came on to Space Jam 2, did you also know you're going to be doing costumes for The Matrix and Mad Max Fury Road and Casablanca too at the same time? No. I mean, I- <laughs> 
I can't remember if the original script I read had that in there. It did have them going into different animation worlds and different things would change at different times. A lot of the stuff, we didn't know if we were going to get the rights to use it. So we were sort of like, oh, I guess we'll shoot it. But, yeah, you know, Casablanca was a yes. Warner Brothers owned that. But with um, Matrix, we had to check with everybody who was part of the original Matrix. Same with um, Mad Max. We had to get special permission. So what we did is we proceeded as if we had permission and then made stuff. But when I was interviewing, I think part of also why they were confident to have me on the job is I have a lot of experience um, with period stuff or with fabrication of costumes. So I'm very comfortable in the sewing, patterning, picking up fabric, distressing world. And I think that you have to have those skills to be able to do a project like this. Um, Because it wasn't, you know, at first it started out with, you know, just LeBron and different things, which the scale alone is so much different. Like you can't just buy stuff. Even even his Matrix shoes, actually, I think, but mainly the Matrix shoes, um, we had to have made at Western Costume. Oh, wow. Those shoes, one, don't exist. And even if we thrifted them, we'd never find a size 15 that, you know was high enough to go under like just his knees. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> right. we had to pick a shoe model and okay, we're going to sh- start with this kind of base and then we're going to build this. And then we it had this sort of like mesh on the top. We ended up having to hand paint that on. And that's just for the shoe that you never saw. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like trying to think back. I'm like, I don't remember, but, but I don't know. I mean, maybe he does a kick where you see it, but Ultimately, we had to have that and we had to have that for LeBron so that he felt he was in character. And you have to have that because you don't know what the shot's going to be and the shot could change at any moment. So they could be, you know what, let's get a master of this. That's more head to toe rather than, you know, waste up. I love that. Um, So, yeah, I think I think they felt confident enough with my prior work. And because I, I started in theater and opera and much more of the world where you make everything. So um, there was a comfort level that they knew that I could do it. I love that. It was so fun. I've every t- in that scene where he's like, now he's in the matrix. Now he's in Mad Max. I was just so excited to be like, Oh, what's, what's going to happen next? Cause I feel like you nailed every costume. It was just so fun. Each scene to be oh, like, Oh, what's this like you. new iteration going to be. And speaking of all these fun cameos, I love the actual final basketball scene because there's so much. I watched the movie a couple times because I had to go back and see what I might have missed the first time. Uh, We already talked about Game of Thrones. I noticed the Night King and some White Walkers. Mm -hmm. I noticed Pennywise. I mean, how could you not? Yeah. Catwoman, Joker. I saw Voldemort, which I thought was hilarious. Um, And then my favorite, which, you know, a lot of people might not recognize, but I noticed Baby Jane Hudson right away. That was one of my favorites. But (laughs) so how did you tackle dressing these cameos? Well, when I first got the script, um, nobody had sort of mentioned it, but I was like, hey, in this scene, it says... All of the Warner Brothers villains show up to watch the game. We hear a we hear a stampede. <laughs> and it's a bit like you know going through the script of Gone with the Wind and saying, "Oh, Atlanta burns on page sixty-seven." 
And I was like, okay, this is kind of a big deal. I was like, what do you guys mean by this? And the director wanted to make sure it was not an auditorium, like the first one. He wanted it streetball style. So we couldn't even get away with like, well, the audience can't move at all. They're just sitting, you know, they're 10 feet away and we don't have to light them. They were there and they were making comments on the game. And I mean, Don Cheadle had a lot of fun with them. And I think we shot them all for two and a half weeks to get all the stage stuff. I know, which is a lot. <laughs> Wait, there were people dressed as the Night King and Voldemort for like two weeks in the shooting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> two and a half weeks. Plus, you know, they had to go in. So I was working with Howard Berger, who is amazing. And his company did most of the like the really specialty stuff like the mask and the white walkers and the, the um, flying monkeys and stuff like that. And, you know, we had to have those characters picked ahead of time and they couldn't just be standard extras because you had to guarantee that they keep and Voldemort and you had to keep guaranteeing that they'd show up. Right. So we also didn't quite know how we were shooting the game, which side. And then there was a lot of discussion because at one point Taz flips the whole game and we're like, ah, does that mean they all go the other direction? What does this mean? And they're like, okay, maybe we'll switch them back quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the idea, the eyes were popping out of the ID. AD is going, oh my God, this is crazy. But I first started, I read that and I was like, well, what do you guys want me to do? And they were like, anything, anything you can clear that's in the Warner Brothers catalog, which also includes HBO, do it. So I set about um, working with clearances and we tried to clear about 250 categories. Um, and then some of them would come back right away. Hey, you can't use damn Yankees because it's also owned by this estate and the estate is going to say no. Or, oh, you can't use any of this modern Batman because it's Christopher Nolan and we don't we, we just don't want to mess with that sort of legacy right now, but you can use the 60s Batman and the Tim Burton all you want. So we we did use a lot of that, like Mr. Freeze's guys are in like little blue beanies. And, I saw that. Yeah. you know, there's there's uh, <laughs> these guys, they're kind of mod. They're in these um, black sweatshirts that say G-O-O-N, which is great. And we just literally had to go through and start clearing stuff. Um, I think all the Harry Potter stuff cleared at the last minute. So it was only like the last five days of shooting that we could push some of them into the stadium to have them picked up for a shot, which was crazy because, you know, people assume that, oh, it's Warner Brothers. They want everything involved. And it's legally, it's just a really huge ball of twine. <laughs> That's so that fun. You just have to keep unraveling. Um, and then I had one separate costume shop and one separate assistant that just for about 15 weeks was making background. Just backgrounds. <laughs> just background. Like at a shop in Sun Valley, plugging away, making the costume. That is so funny. And then I would go out there once a week and they would go like, okay, here's all the ones we have done. And then certain things wouldn't get cleared. And we'd be like, okay, well, do some more cowboys. Do some more um, steampunk cowboys from Wild Wild West. Do some more, um, uh, let's see, we couldn't do banditos. But there were, there were different things. I was like, okay, we'll just have to double up on some 42nd Street 
dancer girls and some more, you know, just to, we had to have a lot of people. And then if we, people didn't show up, we had to be able to have alternate costumes to fill that spot. Wow. So I mean, that in itself was its own movie. Uh, sounds like it. Yeah, I mean, I'm exhausted for you. I can't even imagine wrapping my brain around this. I know. But I have to tell you, when we were shooting at Warner Brothers and those tours came around and saw all those people hanging out outside, walking around, eating lunch, they just were, their jaws dropped, you know, to see Pennywise just, you know, hanging out under a shade was was just sort of like, you know, the the head of the costume department over at Warner's was like, well, you've done what you've you've done what every tour has always wanted to do. Yeah, it's like the craziest <laughs> fever dream that I've always wanted seeing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Baby Jane Hudson next to Pennywise. And I know. I know. It was great. And I still like I'm still searching it going like, oh, who's there? Who's that? Oh, Mr. Freeze. You know? Yeah. While you're talking, I was still kind of peeking around. Yeah, there was one. Um, There is Vanessa Redgrave from The Devils, I think it is which I had worked with that director doing a, a play when he was like, who's in his eighties back in um, 2008. And so I was like, Oh, here's my Ken Russell homage. Was that the nun costume? Yeah. So that was the nun. I saw that one. Yeah. So that was from the devils, which it's even hard to get a, a copy of that anymore. Uh, and I just noticed, I think I saw the mystery ink crew oh, in the background i yep. see the colors yep. i think yeah and there was um <laughs> robin hood so there was the earl flynn um robin hood is all back there with um you know all the the knights and um friar tucks back there and all of that <laughs> i love it so much <laughs> yeah I'm just looking at this and I'm like, wait, there's a flying monkey <laughs> that I just noticed. I think there were two. And there's Dorothy and there's also the Wicked Witch altogether. Yes, I saw those. Uh, that's so everyone who's listening, you should definitely go back and do another watch. I promise you, you're going to see something you didn't notice the first time or the second or third time. Honestly, I mean, we're doing this interview and me and Elizabeth are still kind of distracted looking at the photos because I keep finding new things. It's so fun. So for animated projects like this, uh, why do you feel like costume designers are necessary? I mean, I think it's important for the other artists too. You know, we all support each other. So I worked with Devin Crane quite a bit and uh, Spike Brandt, who are both in the animation team. And, you know, they always have interesting things to add and I have interesting things to add. And so they are used to collaborating with people. They very much like collaboration. And so I was able to say, oh, I'm doing these colors with this, or algae's gonna be in this, or, um, you know, they needed, so when granny is in the matrix, we used a real woman as the model for her matrix outfit. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so I had to make that outfit to inform them of how to draw it. So even though you don't necessarily see it, we're all working together. And, you know, it's sort of nice to lean against somebody and be like, oh my God, how's your world? Oh, my world just got changed from 23 to six. And they're like, ooh, ouch. Yeah. You know what I mean? But they were struggling with, they didn't know what they were animating. So at one point they found Lola in Akita. Yeah. 
them at one point, you know, um, Porky Pig and, and Daffy were in Pokemon world and he was Daffy was the trainer and Porky Pig was the Porkachu, which is amazing. But we didn't get permission oh from Pokemon. So, you know, so then they, every, all the work that they did was just scrapped. And so, you know, it was nice to commiserate over the things that, that nobody saw, but we all knew how much work was involved. So we were all each other's cheerleaders. That's awesome. My favorite word now is now Porkachu. That is going <laughs> right? to be Elizabeth. Oh my changed my name in your phone to Porkachu. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so before we let you go, the art of costume is followed by a lot of fans of costume design, but also aspiring costume designers. So just as a final last word, why costume design to you? Well, why do you love being a costume designer? I have wanted to be a costume designer since I was eight years old. And I don't know, I think that, you know, by seeing theater and by seeing ballet and watching movies, um, I was able to be influenced to um, become a costume designer. It's not every child's path, um, but I had a desire to do it. My dad was a sculptor. My mom was an artist. I was never going to be a lawyer. Um, they would have thought that was weird. So <laughs> I was encouraged. I also think of clothing as three-dimensional sculpture. You have to know how the light hits it. You have to know how it fits on a body. You have to know the history that goes into these choices that you make. And I think that I, I love that I am the bridge between the director to the actor or between the actor to the character. I help them find a way to do this amazing thing that actors do and become this individual. And I am able to help them sort of help them with their art. So my art is helps them with their art. I also think that, you know, this is entertainment is a worthy career. People need to be entertained. And so I think that my work on this show has made people happy for that two hours. And when they come away from it and they think about it, they're thinking in their mind is a still image of what people looked like. And I think that I am, as a costume designer, you are able to, within 15 seconds, tell an audience who somebody is. And I think it's an amazing gift that we get to do a visual storytelling, that we support the director, that we support the actors. And as my buddy Don Cheadle said, when he was giving the costume design award this year, I was helping him with his tuxedo. And he said, yeah, they kind of want to get rid of the costume design category. And I said, you know what? That would be a shame because how would a little girl like me who grew up in Nebraska know that this is a job I could have and a job that I love? And he goes, yep, that's what I told him. <laughs> <laughs> So hopefully the more we talk about costume design and what it means, people will understand that it is an art form. Well, I yeah. could not agree with you more. I think that's why Elizabeth and I do this. And we are so honored to have you here. This has been one of my favorite interviews ever. Aww. And thank you so much for joining us, Melissa. This has been really awesome. Yes, thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Of course. And, you know, if anyone ever has questions about things, hit up my Instagram. I'm, I'm pretty good at answering back. We're going to be blowing up your DMs all the time now. Yeah. <laughs> so you should not have said that. Where did you get that shirt? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much. And we're so excited to see what you do next. Um, let's keep in touch and do next time you come out with something. Let's do another one of these interviews. This has been fun. Absolutely. Yes, please. That was an awesome interview. Uh, I love Melissa so much. She is so cool. I just want to hang out with her all the time. I know. And she she gave us so many good, like, behind-the-scenes facts. Like, when I watched those basketball scenes with all the, the extras in, like, the different, like, you know, movie costumes, I was like, oh, she rated the, you know, Warner Brothers costume department. Like, she really just went in and took all their costumes but, like, she had to make those? Like, that's crazy. Yeah, there was so many costumes. It was massive. I don't know how they found enough time to make all this happen. It's just so much, and it all looks so beautifully done. I know. I I mean, I remember, I believe she said she had, like, 17 weeks of prep, which is a lot of time. But for all of that, that just does not seem long enough. Yeah, I mean, just last night I was sewing a hoodie and it took me like an entire day. I cannot imagine how long it would take to make all this happen. I mean, we're not exactly professional seamstresses. I know, but still. Um, And I really do love the redesign of the uniforms. I think it made a lot of sense when she was talking about like... yeah. Like, Bugs Bunny is gray. Like, we don't want to put him in a white jersey anymore. Like, let's change the colors. Let's make it feel more modern. And I think she really accomplished that. Yeah, she did. She really did. And it, it made a lot more sense with the, the colors they did have. Totally. And I loved your questions about Don Cheadle's character, Algie Rhythm. That, those were some really... Algie Rhythm. <laughs> those were some really great costumes. They were. He was my favorite. I love the idea, like, how do we make a AI a real person through costume? And I think she really accomplished that. That was really fun. She did. She did an amazing job. Before we're done with this episode, can we just talk about the criticism of Lola Bunny not being designed as, like, the sexy Lola Rabbit anymore? Oh my gosh. I hate this is so obnoxious. This is a children's movie that, you know, if you have some sort of childhood, like, sexual awakening with the original whatever, this is still a children's movie. Grow up. You're an adult now. You do not need a sexy bunny character in a children's film. There are reasons my generation is so messed up. So give it a break. We're trying to do better. Oh my god. I just I just had to talk about this for a second. Because like you knew it annoyed me. <laughs> annoys me too. Like how sick do you have to be to go on Twitter and be like, look what they did to my girl Lola Rabbit. Like, what is wrong with you? It's an animated Looney Tune character. Does she really have to have like such like just leave it alone? It's a rabbit, a Looney Tune. Hey, yeah. <laughs> And I love that she was, like, training to be an Amazon in the film. Because it's like, yes, you're a strong, independent bunny. Yeah. Who doesn't need a man. Exactly. You can be yourself. Totally. She does. She's a great-looking bunny either way. So, like, I don't know what your problem is. (laughs) 
I need to write an essay about this. I just have a lot of thoughts and feelings on this. It's just the world is sick sometimes. I I know. I'm like, again, this is a children's film. (laughs) Like, (laughs) get over it. Well, all in all, this is one of my favorite episodes that we've done. I loved getting a chance to speak with Melissa Bruning. She's a very talented costume designer. I loved everything she did on this film. And, I mean, I'm kind of hoping for a Space Jam 3. I hope I don't have to wait for another 25 years, but I will if I have to. You know, whoever's big in basketball then. I know. I, I would I love to see his son's game go haywire and, and suck him into the game again. That'd be fun. Also, I just kind of wish I lived in the server verse, you know? I think I would go to Harry Potter world. Yeah, I think I think we'd be hopping around between Harry Potter world and Game of Thrones. Yeah, like I I feel like um, my residence... Oh wait, we wouldn't survive Game of Thrones. We wouldn't survive Game of Thrones. We'd be sticking well, in... okay. Our, our residence will be in Harry Potter world, but like we vacation in Westeros, but we are like very careful where we go in Westeros, you know? Okay. Like, I'll be in I mean, King's Landing. Dorne sound pretty good. That looked pretty safe, Dorne. Yeah, it looked nice there. I'd like to chill in one of those fancy dresses. But we all know that I am of the people of King's Landing, so I think I'd fit in very well there. True, true. <laughs> true. Um, also, my new favorite word now is porkachu, and I just will never get over it. <laughs> that, that's the funniest thing I've heard ever. <laughs> Pikachu. Ew. Just kidding. I don't like it anymore. <gasps> oh, I hate you. <laughs> All right, Elizabeth. What are we watching next week? Next week. Are you ready, Spencer? We are watching the Emmy-nominated Queen's Gambit. Ooh. I am so excited to watch this, mostly because I am so tired of people telling me to watch this. I know I'm going to like it. Just give me a moment, and finally we're going to watch it, just like I said. (laughs) I know. There's a lot of stuff to watch in the world. You can't watch everything all at the same time. (laughs) So we're finally going to do it. We're going to watch The Queen's Gambit. I can't wait to talk to you all about next week to see what all the buzz is about, why it was nominated for an Emmy. So I'm really excited. Me too. If you like this episode, give it a like, share it around, tell your friends about it, and have a wonderful week. See you all. The Art of Costume Blogcast is hosted by Elizabeth Joy Glass and Spencer Williams. Produced by Elizabeth Joy Glass with associate producer Spencer Williams. Our sound design and engineering is done by Daniel White. Follow us on Instagram at the Art of Costume Pod. Or visit the Art of Costume for all blogcast updates. For more costume reviews, deep dives, and interviews, visit the Art of Costume.com. A blog dedicated to highlighting the best in costume design.